three, back in the saddle, Dr. Evan Alexander, author of Living in a Mindful Universe on top of Proof of Heaven. Living in a Mindful Universe. Okay, I'd say this. I, I feel like maybe it's losing value now that I say it so much, but I loved it. Specifically, chapter 13. And I think everyone knows who you are now, so that's why I'm not having you introduce yourself. It's chapter 13 talking about the soul lesson, reincarnation. That is something you and I have spoken about this before. I lost a sibling to suicide in 2014. Over the years, and I've been someone that meditates a lot my whole life for the last 12 years. Over the years, I began thinking um, that, you know, I see him again in the afterlife. And then as it went further, I started to kind of toy. I remember t- saying this to my little brother at Christmas a couple years ago. I was like, I know this sounds crazy, but I was like, I've got this idea that not only is he still alive somewhere in reality, but that before this life, and he was looking at me like I'm crazy. And I was like, before this life, I was like, what if we went into this life almost like a huddle before a football game? And it's where these eternal beings, and because we have eternity, we can take all the time we want. And I was like, what if we had this plan that was like, we're going to be born in New Hampshire, we're going to live in Georgia for a little bit, and then at 27, John's going to commit suicide, and we're going to go through this whole lesson, and then on and on. And, you know, he kind of looked at me, he's like, dude, what are you talking about? But I've been thinking about that. Not only, like, what if it really was, you know, just like, all right, Dr. Alexander, we're going to do this for 45 minutes, and then we're going to start recording. Like, break, let's go. That's what you got into a lot. And could you could you elaborate on that a little more? Yes, well, I think uh, it's, it's beautiful uh, that you bring that up, and I love your analogy of the football huddle <laughs> because I think in many ways that's kind of what our higher souls yeah. do. Yeah, uh, Our soul groups kind of plan these things. And, you know, it's it's almost impossible for the ego mind to hear that and go, sure, I planned all this hardship. You yeah. know, oh, yes, I planned to get meningoencephalitis yeah. and be in a coma for seven days and come extremely close to death. Yeah. Uh, and the ego says, are you out of your mind? Of course not. But this is about a much bigger journey than our ego can picture. Yeah. And that's why I think meditation uh, is so important because it helps to get us in touch with our with our higher soul. So we can take a much bigger look at things and uh, try and get a helicopter view of our lives and of our relationships and of our meaning and purpose in living these lives. And in that kind of bigger setting, I think we start to see how maybe these plans um, were intentional. In fact, I often like to say that Uh, Even though I believe that uh, such kind of soul group planning and what is known as kind of soul contract or soul agreement uh, is something that in many ways we carry out and it helps us to understand ourselves much better when we take that bigger vision. but it's, uh, it's very difficult to see it from down on this level. So you really, it helps to gain the benefits of meditation and all that. Now, getting back to the issue of reincarnation, uh, you know, uh, my 54 years of life spent as a card-toting reductive materialist neuroscientist before uh, coma did not involve any kind of serious consideration of reincarnation. Part of the problem, of course, is that most of us don't have ready memories of past lives. Sure. 
when you think about it, most of us really don't have much memory of anything before we were six or seven years old. Yeah. Uh, because our linguistic uh, kind of memory recovery is a system that develops after that. Um, so not being able to remember it in the here and now in these physical bodies doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think meditation and hypnosis can be so powerful because they thin the veil and give us access to a much broader kind of swathe of, of memories that can include past lives and even between lives. Yeah. Now, uh, in my coma journey, uh, the first kind of line of evidence that pushed me when I came back to this world towards uh, an acceptance of reincarnation was the challenge of trying to explain that infinitely loving, knowing, and healing God force uh, that I became one with, as uh, near-death experiencers do. How can that kind of a force of pure love that is so all-knowing how can that exist in the setting if, uh, say, children who are victims of warfare through no fault of their own, things like that, uh, they have this one little incarnation then it gets snuffed out? Um, and and my uh, kind of general kind of reaction to all that from my coma experience was no, no, no. The only way to explain it is to realize our souls are eternal and they keep coming back in. And yeah. So it's, uh, and I had these these two incredible visions, you know, in the core realm mm-hmm. uh, that showed me the reality, not only of reincarnation, but also the power of the life review. Yeah. Now, given, you know, those who know my NDE story realize one of the atypical features was that I was amnesic. Mm-hmm. I had no memories whatsoever of the life of Evan Alexander. Yeah. I had no words, no language, complete empty slate. And that was a very powerful tool that I think enabled me to glean a lot of the uh, deeper lessons that I did for my NDE. Um, uh, but the, uh, uh, you know, the visions that I had that showed me reincarnation, one was this uh, incredibly rich uh, vision of kind of flying fish, schools of flying fish. Yeah. And I remember seeing very clearly uh, how when we were down in the water, it was like we were living these lives. We were temporarily dumbed down. We didn't have all the knowledge of our higher soul, which, of course, can be recovered through meditation and spontaneous epiphanies and and hypnosis. Uh, But we generally don't recover those kind of memories. Um, And then... um, uh, but anyway, in the flying fish analogy, then we would pop up out of the water. And that was where we were free, uh, flying, yeah. united with our higher souls, uh, reunited with uh, departed souls, loved ones. And that's where we went through life reviews and then planned next incarnations yeah. with a, you know, and, and the next set of lessons to be learned in this progression towards oneness with the divine. Because this is a very purposeful reincarnation. Yeah. It's not like yeah, it's uh, not you know, in, in Eastern traditions where it's a, a wheel of suffering that you're trying to get off of. This actually is goal-directed. And in many ways, that goal, I would say, was portrayed by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin in his mm-hmm. beautiful book, The Phenomenon of Man in the Mid-20th Century, where he realized that evolution was much more than the puny little Darwinian biological version that was being considered by scientists at that time, but that all of consciousness throughout the universe was evolving. Yeah, uh, And that, in my view, is exactly what's going going on. The other vision I had that showed me reincarnation and life reviews very clearly uh, was one that I often label Indra's net because to me it it, uh, it yeah. uh, likens my vision to that kind of ancient Eastern spiritual yep. uh, view. Uh, but it really, it was this rich, incredible uh, tapestry and it was like a target. So there was this glowing center. That was the omega point, the Christ consciousness. Yeah. 
that uh, the Chardin talked about. But all of these beautiful threads interwoven and leading towards that were of, you know, incarnation in the material and then back up. It's almost like breathing, yep. uh, this progression yeah. of our lives going through this. And it made much, much more sense. And of course, the important thing that I recognize in those visions about the life review, um, and this is something that has been borne out by my study of the NDE literature and, and meeting and talking with thousands of experiencers over the last 12 years, um, is um, that whole notion that uh, we, you know, we tend to think of ourselves as the self, mm -hmm. you know, with a past and a, a future and memories of a past, um, and that that self is isolated from others. And yet the evidence for non-local consciousness and the overlap of our consciousness through telepathy, uh, remote viewing, uh, precognition, and then these bigger categories of near-death experiences, mm -hmm. shared death experiences, which are just like NDEs, but they usually happen in people who are physiologically normal, uh, like a, a loved one at the bedside or a yeah. loved one a thousand miles away yeah. whose soul gets uh, pulled along on the journey. Yeah. Um, and uh, so all of those uh, uh, kind of notions for me were very powerful. But when I came back to this world, uh, and, and the point I'm, I'm making there about the, about the life review, just to clarify sure. this, is that our boundaries of self dissolve. Yeah. In the life review, you experience that from the emotional perspective of those around you who were impacted by your actions and thoughts. Yeah. Uh, that's why in many ways, uh, we often say the golden rule is written mm -hmm. into the fabric of the universe in the form of those life reviews, because you feel what you did to others from their perspective. That's yeah. how the life review is most instructive yeah. and serves as such a beautiful course correction yeah, uh, help help us in planning those next incarnations. Yeah, uh, but I, I uh, and then the interesting thing though is I had these incredible visions, so I knew reincarnation was absolutely part of the package, and yeah. it was very confusing to d default to my, uh, you know, my Methodist upbringing and its teaching of one incarnation than eternal heaven or yeah. hell, and. But anyway, I didn't know uh, until after my NDE when I started doing my homework that, in fact, the scientific literature supporting reincarnation is very strong. Yeah. And for any of your uh, audience who want to learn more, I recommend go to uvadops.org. That's the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies dot org. Okay. Scientific group, more than six decades of work, very serious scientists studying consciousness and uh, uh, all manner of consciousness. And they've accumulated more than 2,500 cases over the last six decades of past life memories in children where the best explanation is really a reincarnation. Yeah. This is work that was begun by Dr. Ian Stevenson back in the 1960s. And of course, back in that era as a psychiatrist. He was the head of psychiatry at UVA, uh, and he to hear these stories of past life memories in children, and so he went out to discover what kind of psychological disease allowed these yeah. things to emerge. And the problem was he kept running into cases that he couldn't explain that way, and then when he did the deep homework to try and discover the life of the person described by the child, he would find it. He would find that there was somebody out there that that lived that. And there are astonishing stories out there. In fact, um, one of the best ones, and this has been vetted by Dr. Jim Tucker, who does that work now. And I would highly recommend Dr. Jim Tucker's books uh, on this, uh, Life Before Life and uh, Return. Uh, I can't remember his other one, but Jim Tucker, uh, if you uh, search him on Amazon, you'll, you'll get into this. Um, 
but uh, just extraordinary cases, but one that he vetted uh, strongly because these have to be, you know, there's potential for fraud and and, uh, people uh, abusing the system and all. And so these scientists have to be very careful in doing their homework to make sure uh, this is not just some fraud. Uh, And that's why these 2,500 plus cases are so valuable. Um, But the, the one that comes to mind that's just an absolute joy to read because uh, the family it involves has written a book about it. Uh, it's uh, the reincarnation story of a World War II fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James Leninger is the child's name, L-E-I-N-I-N-G-E-R. And I highly recommend it. Uh, the, uh, the book uh, is called Soul, S-O-U-L, Survivor. Uh, and it's just absolutely loaded with... Uh, uh, just incredibly uh, fascinating connections between this child um, and and you know the yeah. events in the life he described that occurred more than six decades earlier. Yeah. Uh, in a, a naval aviator who was uh, killed in the Battle of of, uh, of Iwo Jima, or actually it was uh-huh. an adjacent island, but uh, extraordinary uh, kind of overlap and uh, and you read stories like that, and and plus the UVA literature is filled with stories like that. And there's just absolutely no way that this is just kind of made-up nonsense. It's an astonishingly rich kind of portrayal of the deeper nature of human experience. But if you don't understand uh, uh, that reincarnation is part of the package, you're very confused. And for those who, like me, grew up in a a Christian tradition uh, who might wonder about that, uh, there's a beautiful book by Dr. Herbert Puryear, P-U-R-Y-E-A-R. It's called Why Jesus Taught Reincarnation. And it makes it very clear how uh, reincarnation was absolutely part of original Christianity. Uh, you know, Christ talked about John the Baptist being a reincarnated prophet from earlier times. Um, so these concepts of reincarnation were alive and well. And it was only centuries after Christ it, uh, when Constantine, the uh, Roman emperor, in their efforts to try and control Christianity, because they realized this thing had gotten much bigger than they ever thought it would, um, and they had the uh, Council of, of Nicaea, uh-huh. and that's where they basically laid out some ground rules. Uh, but one of them was that any discussion of reincarnation formally uh, by anyone related to the church would be punishable by inverted crucifixion. That's how much Constantine realized that if people, re- if people understand, if souls understand that they have the power in this game, that they don't need to go through a middle player, you know, tithing the church yeah. and going through a priest, but that in fact uh, they have the power to guide their own soul journey as they come to this recognition that their souls come here repeatedly in a process of refinement towards that uh, 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 enlightenment, uh, he realized how powerful that was and it would undo their efforts to control uh, the masses. And uh, per year makes the argument very, very clearly uh, and also talks about why this is, in many ways, it's such a uh, uh, you know subterfuge that uh, has been led by these uh, religious leaders over thousands of years, uh, all in an effort to control. And, and it actually diverts the message away from uh, the true message of Christ. And mm-hmm. in fact, all the messages of the prophets, uh, I would say, uh, in many ways have been kind of uh, 
hijacked uh, in some sense by other people who try to use religion to control people. Mm -hmm. And that's why this idea of the power of the soul and of our ability to go within, you know, as Christ said, the answers lie within us all. These and greater things you will do. Mm -hmm. He was simply pointing out to us that all of us have what the but the modern uh, kind of dogma sometimes says is only a Christ-like ability, you know, to be an eternal soul in the in the Son of God. Whereas we're all that. That's yeah. what Christ was trying to tell us. Yeah. But we need to live that life that Christ exemplified of unconditional love for for all of our fellow beings. Yeah. Um, compassion, kindness, mercy. These are the themes that originally came from the prophets. And yet in many ways, especially in the superficial uh, dogma of various religions and in the apparent conflict between religions, uh, a lot of that is just false. It's not real, the deeper message. And you can approach that through the meditative traditions and through centering prayer and other modes of going within. I mean, this whole revolution we're talking about is a scientific revolution. It's based on neuroscience and quantum physics and a deeper understanding of the nature of reality. But at its very core is this notion of the one mind that we are all sharing. That's one thing the founding fathers of quantum physics uh, like Werner Heisenberg, mm-hmm. Erwin Schrodinger, uh, Wolfgang Pauli, and yeah. others, so profoundly said, based on the results of quantum experiments back in the early and mid-20th century, is consciousness is fundamental. You cannot get behind it. It's not derivative from physical matter. It's something that exists primarily in the universe. And in fact, the modern revolution in the scientific understanding of the brain-mind connection uh, tells us that not only uh, can we leave materialism in that completely ridiculous notion that the physical matter of the brain could create consciousness, yeah. de novo, leave that in the distant yeah. dust. Yeah. Uh, but so many of the dualities, and when you talk about mind-brain relationship, there are many different other things uh, that say, well, we admit that you cannot reduce mind to a function of the brain, but somehow they seem to exist in parallel. And that's like putting Band-Aids on a broken system, Yeah, uh, you know, to pretend that somehow we're going to patch up this, uh, this notion of the mind-brain relationship through some of these dualisms. Because ultimately, you run into problems with those halfway approaches. And ultimately, the solution, I believe, as we point out living in a mindful universe, lies in objective idealism, or what is known as analytical idealism. And this is a form where you actually see the consciousness or mind is the governing force of the events that unfold in the universe. Now, there are principles like natural laws and the principle of sufficient reason, as Leibniz uh, promoted, uh, that are very important because all those things apply. But the thing to understand more deeply is a lot of modern materialist scientists pretend that everything that rules the events in human lives is a bottom-up causality yeah. that comes from subatomic particles, uh, atoms, molecules, yeah, and that it all comes from bottom-up. And and they basically believe there's no such thing as free will because they think it's all chemical reactions, electron fluxes in the brain. They give you the illusion of mm-hmm. consciousness. Pay it no mind, they would say. Yeah. Well, the reality is they have it backwards, and yeah. that's been one of the biggest problems. And in fact, quantum physics... 
uh, for the last century has been increasingly moving with the experiments towards this absolute certainty yeah. that the best answer is of idealism. Yeah. That mind and top-down causality is what rules this world. And the good news is, as sentient beings, humans have access <laughs> to that mental layer of the universe. And that is a tremendous gift. Yeah. But it also is a tremendous responsibility. Yeah. Because that implies that our choices have tremendous importance. Yeah. Uh, contrary to what, you know, the hardcore materialist neuroscientists would tell you, nobody even has free will. Well, why do we even have yeah. a court system or, yeah. what are we doing? or prisons or anything? If, if nobody has free will, it's all chemical reactions. Just then, let it be. Yeah. Well, that is because that is a false view. Yeah. And we have responsibility for our choices. We are stewards of this planet. We are stewards of our own soul and our uh, soul groups and our national ethnic groups and what have you. Uh, and it's high time to take uh, responsibility for that. And that's what I think this awakening is all about. But a deeper understanding of reincarnation, of the that this is a process of refinement over multiple lifetimes, all building towards that tremendous growth towards oneness with the divine. Uh, from my point of view, that has tremendous power in explaining all of this. Yes, sir. It's it's. You're absolutely right, and I, the one thing I I, I loved was that that you because I remember re listening to your book and I was like, I wonder if Doctor Alexander's heard of Ramdas, and then you got into Ramdas, and I was like, <laughs> yes, but it's because I always quote him in that like he talks about it, and he's like, you know, what do you do if you don't reach the point by the end of your life? And he has some saying from you know Ramdas. He died last year. He was in his nineties, but uh -huh. he had he had some saying. I think it was from like a show. He was like. I don't know who Larry is, but he was like, send them through again, Larry. It just means like you didn't get the lesson. Like you, or his other one was, hey, like you're in school. Take the curriculum. He's like, you're yes. here. Learn. And that's that's one thing I've been trying to look at because it's like what you said. It's Constantine or even the comedian Bill Hicks, who died in 93. He was like, he's like, there's a lot of people that don't want you to know it's just a ride because we've got a yeah. lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. But once you realize it's just a ride. You can't really slave away in a system that doesn't mean anything because if you realize that, like you said, or Duncan Trussell said, um, uh, uh, kind of the inverse of your analogy, he said like we're dolphins and the sea is the is the great, the one mind. And what we do is we jump up out of the water and we do a couple flips and we bathe in the sun and it's like this beautiful thing and then we come back in again and it's like, hey, let's go through again. But yeah, right. yeah, that's what... I love the idea of what yeah. you were saying that it's, yeah, it's not just the spinning wheel of now you're a turtle, now you're an emperor, now you're in a concentration camp. It's like, no, no, no. Just like college yeah. isn't here's a biology class, here's a finance class. It's like you're getting your major. Right. But I think I think the ultimate lesson that people need to remember there is uh, certainly the kind of gold standard. You yes. know, how do we make sense of kind of good, bad, darkness, uh, light, uh, uh, masculine, feminine, all the dualities, all the polarities yeah. that exist in this dualistic realm um you know where's the answer yeah. uh and the answer lies i would say very deeply in those uh life reviews and in those profound kind of assessments of our existence uh, that we all go through at the end of life um and that answer also is about that love yeah. and how powerful that is. Yeah. That's why in the life review, it's kind of, that's the brilliant light against which everything else is measured. And what so many near-death experiences will tell you is you don't go through that feeling like you're being judged 
by God or some yeah. higher power because God is actually the pure light of love that's there to serve as that standard. Yeah. Uh, kind of like the image at the horizon to show you the direction in which yes. to go. And uh, uh, I think that is, uh, that's one of the most beautiful aspects of all this is to understand that love uh, that everyone feels there. And you realize that it, to the extent to which your actions and your perceptions of the emotional truth of, in those around you in the life of you, um, what it's all showing you is that ideally, you simply treat yourself and other beings with the pure, unconditional love that is your birthright, that yes. is demonstrated in those life reviews as such a profound indicator of the ultimate truth to which we aspire. And it's almost as if it's it's kind of a neutral ground in sense because as i said in proof of heaven you can do no wrong but what that really means is you have the freedom of of will the freedom of choice to decide in, in every moment and interaction with others and any dealings with yourself how to interpret this and how to move forward with your understanding uh, and the more that you can bring all of that into the direction of love uh, and light and compassion and kindness mercy, acceptance, when necessary, forgiveness, the more it aligns with that golden rule written into those uh, the fabric of the universe by that experience in the life review, showing you that love is ultimately it. And that, uh, in fact, I remember when I first came back from my coma, I realized that what we often see is this conflict between light and dark, good and evil. Uh, that in fact there was no opposing force of darkness or evil. Yeah. There's nothing there that supports it. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty there that supports that infinite uh, life, love force of God that indie ears and prophets and mystics have experienced yeah. forever. But my realization was that the the uh, apparent darkness and evil is the absence mm -hmm. of the light and love. Yeah. And each and every one of us can serve as a change agent by being a conduit to bring that light and love into this universe. And just like in the life review with that God force of pure love serving as kind of an, an absolute standard of truth, uh, we can learn to bring that into this world and share it. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that it'll be going out to oppose a force of darkness yes. or evil. It simply replaces it. Yes. and supplants it yes. uh, because the the only true force of change here is really that light and love and we can all serve to help spread that to the world bring it into our own lives and realize as you and i discussed in our last conversation that all is it's well all is well it's that you've got yeah. that that higher kind of helicopter view way above your little ego view. yeah because your ego is going to always get kind of trapped yep. in these up and down battles. And the ego does serve a purpose, yeah. uh, you know, to help in survival in the world. But it is not your ally no. in growing into the higher soul that you came here to be. Yeah. That's where we really have to open our minds uh, and start developing our relationships with uh, that uh, kind of higher consciousness. And we all have the power to do that in meditation. That, Of course, that's why I'm such a big proponent of sacredacoustics.com yes. uh, as we discussed last time and uh, full disclosure by a life partner and co-author of Living in Mindful Universe, Karen Newell uh, is the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I've I, used it. It's great. I, I, have. I, I, I hope you've had a little experience with it at this point. I have. It's You, you mentioned it last time for everyone listening. It's it, the binaural beats, but the way, the way I believe you described it in one of your articles was it's a lot like um, it's a lot like following, where did I, be? it's, it's like following a, like a, 
what word am I looking for? A railing, like a railing up like a hike, hiking path, like through like uh-huh. the cloudy mountain. And it's like, you can't, you got to hold on to it. And then all of a sudden the clouds break and you don't need the railing anymore. But being someone that's meditated almost every day since 2008 is that was really helpful because up in, uh, really up until I started using sacred acoustics, it was just this kind of, it was a crapshoot. It was maybe today I'll have, I'll get to experience the light. And then maybe for 10 days, it will just be like, you know, focusing and that whatever but with that it's it's that kind of it's your railing it's not the end goal but what it is it's a very helpful uh path it's um you know it's the ball on the side you know you're bowling and the ball gets stuck in the thing and it goes to the end you you use it you get into that and like you said really you're focusing on like the reptilian part of your brain the most primitive part get into the rhythm the rhythm the rhythm and then you don't need it you sort of get above the clouds and then it's like well, you know, you can't really describe it. You know what it is. I know what it is. Absolutely. You get there and you'll know when you know, but it's, but yeah, no, but so yeah, it's, it's just for everyone thinking that, yeah, no, it, it really is helpful. And this is from someone that's meditated every day for 12 years. It's very, very helpful. So I sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I did want to, I did want to tell you that. I'm, I'm so glad you, you've uh, had some experience with meditating with sacred acoustics. Um, and the thing is, you know, whatever a person's technique is for going within, for yes. quieting the little ego voice, yes. the little running stream of thoughts in our head, you know, there are many different ways to do that. And we simply offer sacred acoustics because it is a very powerful way of doing that. And by way of explanation uh, from a neuroscientific perspective, uh, I'd like to simply point out to people that whatever kind of chant, anthem, hymn, you may have ever heard in your life that engendered a transcendental state of conscious awareness. That whole process was happening way up in uh, circuits in your neocortex and the acoustic cortex uh, in parts circuits that basically have, have developed and have evolved in the last one to 5 billion years in primates and in uh, homo sapiens. And yes, they can, they can have a big old influence on a lot of what's going on in your, uh, in the detailed calculator of the neocortex, which has a lot to do with this filtering in of reality that you get. But the reason that, uh, that sacred acoustics and similar binaural beat technologies are so powerful is because they're actually going for a circuit that arose more than 300 million years ago in evolutionary neurobiology, way down in the lower brainstem. And there's a general principle in evolutionary biology. Any time you want to get to the root of a certain kind of function, um, like consciousness, uh, you need to kind of look at the evolution, the genetics, and look at the anatomy and go back to the beginning to get a deeper idea. And that's exactly what happens with sacred acoustics is these slight differences in the frequencies going to the two ears yep. is interpreted by a circuit in the lower brainstem, that ancient circuit that I just mentioned, uh, in a way that seems to completely short circuit our conscious awareness and allow our conscious awareness to roam free. Yeah, uh, That's why even though binaural beats and uh, that whole phenomenon of that wavering sensation and its alteration of consciousness is something that was discovered in the mid-1800s by a Prussian physicist named William Heinrich Dove. Uh, And then in the mid and late 20th century, people who were interested in out-of-body experiences and remote viewing, uh, the kind of psychic spy ability uh, to discern information at a great distance, uh, time and space, um, 
they they discovered that wow these uh, these superhuman kind of mental capacities are, are enhanced <laughs> yeah. by binaural beats yeah. and and that's exactly what we're taking advantage of uh, now is uh, you can develop you know it's a way of thinning the veil of yeah. accessing primordial mind getting outside of the here and now and sense of self and out of your body and brain and having a much greater influence uh, and kind of an understanding discernment of information from the world but also the outflow the ability to affected like in distance healing remote healing mm -hmm. uh, which uh, there are many practitioners in the world today who can be very powerful uh and there have been scientific studies uh for example uh you know of cells growing in a tissue culture or bacteria that can be influenced by healing thoughts yes. from a distance yes uh, from a sentient being so yeah it's lots of power to all this. And we're just beginning to discover um, how we can wield that power in uh, basically defining the emergence of the reality of our loftiest dreams. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's um, I was going to say about the yeah, the CIA with remote viewing, uh, the head guy for a while, not the director of the CIA, but the head remote viewer was a guy named Joseph McMonagall. Oh, yeah, I know him. He's yeah. A no, yeah. And uh, and he. And we'll get, well, you know, for everyone listening, it's, but yeah, he would talk about, he'd be like, yeah, you know, they give me coordinates and things and I'd be laying in like a, um, an isolation chamber on like water and salt listening to binaural beats. But it was like, it's not this, you know, it's not, oh, that's just a hippie. It's like, no, this is a guy like top guy at the CIA and he's looking for like the trigger mechanism on a nuclear weapon and made in China. And it's right. like, this was as like classified and highly regarded as the Corona and Keyhole satellites and the U2 and SR-71. Like, this isn't, this wasn't, you know, New Age. This was the CIA at the height of the Cold War. Absolutely. Like, this is the real deal. It's... Right. Yeah. And, and if you, uh, Joe McMonagall has written several interesting books about remote viewing. But when you go back in his history, he first kind of discovered these skills yeah. when he was a soldier in Vietnam yeah. in the battlefield. Yeah. That's where he started realizing uh, kind of the power of his kind of intuitive yes. remote viewing abilities. And uh, uh, it, he's just a fascinating person, as are, uh, I mean, that whole remote viewing literature is, is absolutely it's fascinating. Insane. Yeah. And it's been scientifically and statistically validated yes. beyond any reasonable doubt. Yes. Now, if you go to Wikipedia, of course, they say it's pseudoscience. Yeah. But that's because, unfortunately, Wikipedia is just drowning in this materialist yeah, yeah. nonsense and ignorance and blindness, yeah. uh, that, which is unfortunate. Wikipedia could be a great source of knowledge, and yet their editors are so closed-minded about some of this stuff, they have no idea yeah. what's going on. They yeah. are clueless. Yeah. And it, makes uh, Wikipedia a rampant spreader of misinformation. Yeah. But if you read uh, Jessica Utz, who is the uh, head of the uh, American Statistical uh, Society or uh, Association uh, in 2015 and, and her presidential address, she had worked uh, as a scientist uh, investigating both remote viewing and precognition. The work of Daryl yeah. Ben and others uh, that we can know the future, and she knew that statistically and scientifically, both those effects are absolutely real. You'd be a damned fool to doubt it. But if you don't study the literature, you're a damned fool. Yeah, uh, and that's the problem with Wikipedia today: is those editors uh, just have no idea about what's really going on here and the scientific validity. 
yeah. of, of that. But in, in her uh, presidential address, it was interesting because she said, uh, and this was given to 6,000 plus uh, scientists and statisticians at the annual meeting, and they were from 62 countries around the world. It's a global organization. Um, but she made it clear that when she asked her fellow colleagues, have you studied the literature on precognition or remote viewing? They'd say, no, uh, I don't believe yeah. in that stuff. So why would I waste my time? Yeah. And then she'd say, well, what would change your mind? More data or a personal experience? And almost to a person, they said personal experience. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why Karen and I are just huge uh uh, you know, we're trying to get sacred acoustics yes. and similar tools and these kind of ideas out to the world because they are so empowering. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, it, I, I have found that the greatest gift in this deep and profound analysis of the nature of reality and the mind-body question is true, rabid, open-minded skepticism yes and it turns out that the problem is that many of uh the kind of scientists out there and and, and journalists who kind of put this stuff down uh, and say it's woo-woo nonsense um you know they really uh they've made up their mind yes. they're prejudiced they have yes. nothing to do they're pseudo skeptics yes or they pretend to be skeptics but they are so prejudicial about this that they wouldn't know the truth if it smacked them in the head yes so yeah. uh you know open your mind yes. and pay attention to the details and uh, in fact from my point of view a quote from uh, Rene descartes mm -hmm. says it best and this quote is in the book proof of heaven but he said if uh, you would see yourself as a true seeker you must at least at one point in your life reject everything that you um, believe. All of your assumptions about the nature of reality must be rejected and then questioned uh, and then brought back in one by one yes. under much more heavy analysis. Yes. And that's what I've had to do in the 12 years since my coma is go back to square one and build up a worldview that makes more sense. But the good news is, I think, in the scientific perspective, we're absolutely getting to this point uh, with this notion of analytical idealism and the realism of that top-down causality in the universe and our influence to uh, uh, basically affect all of the outcome. Just as we know in placebo effect, you mm -hmm. know, in medicine, we've honored that for 60 years. And placebo effect is nothing more than the admission by the yeah. medical science community that someone's beliefs and attitudes and thoughts can have a, play a tremendous role in, in their ability to heal from certain symptoms and illnesses. Yeah. Uh, and placebo effect is a beautiful example of mind over matter, yeah. which is exactly what all of this is about. Yeah. And the more we realize if we can control and kind of modulate our health, yes, we can control and modulate and influence all the emerging events of our lives. Yeah, it's that was the, that was the thing in college that really started to get me when I was pre-med and I, I was shadowing like anesthesiologists one thing that it always got me was like to me it, that was like the real that's when i came to a head of like materialism it had been building up for several years and then i got to this point where it was like every wednesday i would volunteer at athens regional at the university of georgia and i would see that i would see the doctor put the mask on turn the gas on or you know the propofol or whatever uh -huh. and the person would go out and i would be like there is this ball of three and a half pounds of fat and protein protoplasm and then the I, whoever it is, Bob, Susie, they just, they just vanish. And I was like, what is going on? And that's when I started to get into the easy question and hard question of consciousness. I was like, where do you dissect it and see here's the self? But then I started to think like, 
that's weird because no matter what their belief is, whether they are materialist or whether they're a Christian or a Buddhist or a Muslim, is like when the gas goes on, they're out. When I started thinking, I was like, man, that is a definitive almost like belief that the gas comes on and it's out. Well, then that led to this whole, and right around the same time is learning about the double slit experiment in consciousness, and then as well as the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. And it all started to kind of swirl together. And I was like, there, that's why I was like, there are some profound implications. And like, as someone that like to at the time and now think of myself as a scientist, I was like, the one flaw we always learn when learning about the history of science is like, you don't have your model and fit the world into it. You examine the world and build your model. And if it doesn't fit, you know, well, how could an alien get here? The speed of light is the, the speed limit. Well, no, at a certain point you have to go like, well, maybe our model's not right. You know, it's like maybe, maybe we, maybe they're, maybe the world isn't flat, you know, maybe that, well, that's heresy. But this whole thing started to come together. I was like, yeah, maybe my model's not, because I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, I know it's protein. I know it's fat and I know that's propofol. Where does this come from? And finally I was like, you know what? There's a very good chance that maybe I don't have it right. And maybe this is the flat earth. Maybe this is witch doctor. Maybe this is. Maybe I have no idea what's going on, but it's that's refreshing to hear you say that. You do. You have to throw it all out and take it in piece by piece. And, and the good news is that uh, starting at very basic principles, and and I would say that you discover those uh, deep in meditation by yeah. kind of uh, quieting that little voice in the yeah. head, um, blanking out that little ego voice, and then realizing that your consciousness is that awareness and then you can start developing that awareness and that awareness is not limited to the here and now and to the sense of self uh you know it really is a shared consciousness there's a beautiful book out there uh by a a colleague and good friend of ours dr larry dossie the book is called one mind uh and it is from my point of view one of the most valuable and powerful books to understand to help people get to the next level it's very well written uh it's not at all heavily scientific although it's got some deep science backing it up Uh, but he and it's also he makes it very clear this is not just about human mind but in fact uh animals uh uh, and in many ways i would say plants i mean living systems are always uh kind of a, a presentation of this one mind yeah and it all exists within that one mind but the beauty of it is we're kind of like facets on a diamond so the diamond is the one mind and the facets are the different perspectives so yes it's different for each and every one of us and yet it's all about the same universe that we coexist in and are part of uh so this it's a beautiful notion to start getting this oneness concept it's uh something karen and i talk about a lot in fact we're just getting ready now we're gearing up for a a big uh webinar we're going to do on the shift network uh, beginning uh, in a few uh, weeks or so that will have to do with this concept of the one mind and how powerful it is for any individual seeker and, and soul on this journey as well as for the rest of society at large and for humanity at large to kind of uh, grasp this kind of depth of, of the oneness we share through mind, uh, through consciousness, and in essence, kind of that shared purpose yeah. of growing towards that love and compassion and kindness for all. The world can become a far better place as this emerging science of consciousness. Science is an objective system of yeah. sharing information. And that's why 
You know, we've had 5,000 years uh, for various uh, religions to, that came out of uh, the journeys of prophets and mystics trying to explain the nature of reality. And all of that combined with individuals' capacities to go within through meditation and centering prayer. But for many people, it was always just a question of, do I believe the, that prophet or mystic and do I believe that scripture and dogma uh, or not? Um, and that's why going within is so powerful. That's why the fact that this time around, it's the quantum physics and it's the neuroscience of consciousness and philosophy of mind that are actually driving the bus because they offer us an objective uh, kind of understanding and worldview that we can compare, contrast, elaborate on and share. And because the, the basis in science, uh, it has tremendous power to change this world. Uh, now, the mistake that many people make, and this includes the majority of, of scientific journalists, is they think that conventional materialist science is the correct model. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that model should have been thrown out 80 years ago with the advent of quantum physics. It's just that the deep findings of quantum physics, and I, as I said a while ago, the experiments keep refining and pushing us towards this absolute yeah. acknowledgement of the primacy of mind. Just as the founding fathers of quantum physics knew, they intuited that from the experiments, and yet in the ensuing decades, uh, you know, uh, materialist scientists have have balked at that and they fought for other explanations and in fact one of the most ready explanations of the measurement paradox in quantum physics among the uh, physicists who want to avoid any discussion of consciousness is whoever it's a 1957 many worlds interpretation infinite parallel universes uh and for them then they can just go okay no more yeah. need for discussing consciousness yeah. just realize that at every uh branch point uh in the emergence of the universe in space and time, that the universe branches into multiple options. <clears throat> and if you're willing to accept infinite parallel universes, then we don't need to talk about consciousness and mind. Uh, and of course, that's ridiculous yeah. because what we actually experience is one universe. Yeah. And the reason for that is it's all being driven from that mental layer. Yeah. Uh, even though it's very interesting that this deep lesson of quantum physics uh, when you get down to it, uh, the proof is showing us, uh, and this is especially reflected in experiments that have just been done this year, uh, the proof is uh, uh, once again uh, showing that we have a kind of a one-to-one -one relationship with the universe and the mental consciousness of the universe um, so that uh, it really proves to us when you get to the depths of these experiments that there is no uh, external physical world independent of the observing mind. Yes. And that is the absolutely That's essential lesson. It's inevitable. Yeah. We're not going to come to some other conclusion yeah. because the evidence pushes us that way. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'm not saying that we have full explanations of that. Uh, that, for me, as a neuroscientist, is absolutely essential now. Sure. And that's what I do a lot of my work on with other scientists around the world. Uh, and speaking of those other scientists, I would highly recommend to your viewership, GalileoCommission.org. I don't know if we brought them up before, but GalileoCommission.org, I'm one of the 100-plus scientific advisors for that group. If you go there, there's a manifesto that really makes it very clear a lot of this revolution in science that I'm talking about. Yeah. But uh, it's inevitable. Materialism is dead. It died yes. 80 years ago, but some people still haven't met, read the memo. Uh, <laughs> but we need to elaborate how this uh, kind of idealism uh, really works. Yeah. And uh uh, for those in quantum physics who want to, you know, just a, a quick uh, little update on that, go to 2005 in the scientific journal Nature. 
Uh, there's an article by Richard Kahn Henry. He was the head of astrophysics at uh, Johns Hopkins, no slouch yeah. in uh, modern physics and quantum physics and cosmology. And he makes it very clear in a simple one-page essay entitled Mental Universe. And it's on my website. Uh, people go to ebonalexander.com. I've got a suggested reading list with more than 100 books, chapters, and uh, uh, scientific papers, many with active live links to the papers themselves. Uh, but Richard Con Henry is right in there. Uh, go find that, and it'll help you understand what I'm talking about, this top-down causality. Uh, another resource for the scientifically minded, go to the writings of, of George F.R. Ellis. He's a South African mathematician. He's written extensively about a top-down causality in quantum physics, which is a very deep and profound kind of understanding of the mental universe and how it works. Yeah. The more we can come to understand all that, the more we can turn this world into a far better place. Dr. Alexander, 2024 for president, because that was that it's uh, I'll, I'll vote for you, man. I need we need you. I want you at the reins. I want you behind the guy with the well, nuclear weapons. I'm just uh, trying to help in any way I can. Well, and uh, I certainly uh, would be willing to, uh, you know, uh, talk with uh, political leaders and everything. I'm not sure if I have it in me to jump into that fray, but I am well, absolutely here to help this world become better for all souls. Yes. That's what I believe is a big mistake of our materialist thinking is it tends to let us believe we're all separate. And that's yes. not true. Yes. We're all in this together. That's what those life reviews show you. Yes. That uh, to hurt another is to hurt yourself. Yes. So violence, warfare, conflict, political polarization, economic polarization, destruction of the planet, threatening the extinction of a million species through our addiction to fossil fuels and plastics, etc. We really, it's time to wake up. Yes. Homo sapiens means wise. Well, I would say right now when I look at this world, I'm not seeing a species that is very wise. It's actually threatened to threatening to destroy life on the planet. And it is high time we took responsibility for our choices and took stewardship of this planet and uh, started to take much better care of all of our fellow beings. Maybe I was thinking just the life review and experiencing our actions through others. And I, I know it's, I know it's been 45 minutes. I'll let you go is, I mean, really just to look at the consciousness standpoint. I mean, if we really want to step back, who's to say that we are not an earth consciousness now experiencing what it's like to be a human species to understand you know kind of like the uncle making fun of the big nose maybe mm -hmm. we are earth maybe we are gaia experiencing humans why did they destroy me and then we're like oh it's because they needed energy and they needed fossil fuel and they were overfishing and it's then we go back to the earth and we're like why did the earth like destroy us and it's like oh because we are eating i don't know that's that's another conversation for another time but before you go I did want to ask, I'll, I'll, I'll email, yeah, I'll email you. I would love to talk to you about kind of Ram Dass psychedelics and the maps, the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. I think that is There's another a frontier. tremendous amount to talk about uh, yes. psychedelics. I think I, two points I'd like to make sure. just very quickly sure. up front. Uh, and then, yes, I'd love to talk with you again sometime. Sure. Uh, but one point is, thank God, luckily, uh, recently, we've uh, gotten rid of some of those laws that yeah. have uh, 
you know, prevented research and some of the most promising research in addiction and alcoholism work and in fear of death in cancer patients has been through psilocybin. Yes. One dose can have profound beneficial effect lasting for years. Uh, and yeah. this is in the proper therapeutic setting. Now, I don't encourage people to go out and use psilocybin. In fact, what I would tell you is if you read Christopher Bache, B-A-C-H-E, his book, Dark Night, Early Dawn, he actually compares his high-dose LSD work for spiritual growth with his work with binaural beats. And, com- and binaural beats come out very favorably as giving you the very same, if not better, benefits over, over a period of dedicated uh, time. Yeah. So very important point. Uh, and I believe this ties into placebo effect and yeah. mind over matter and yeah. all that. Uh, but it's important that the psychedelics are kind of helping us understand that greater power of mind. Yeah. The other key point, and of course, we discussed this all in Living in a Mindful Universe, is that business of the recent scientific papers beginning in 2012. Imperial College in London, Robin Carhart-Harris and others looking at uh, first psilocybin, then uh, DMT, ayahuasca, Mm. more recently LSD, using fMRI, functional MRI, uh, and magnetoencephalography and finding that, in fact, the biggest surprise to materialist science is that your brain goes dark. Yeah. Anyone who's ever experienced those drugs will think, oh, my brain must be lighting up with a, like a Christmas tree to give me this phenomenal experience. Well, no, your brain is actually getting out of the way. Every bit of the neuronal population that can be assessed with those uh, technologies says the brain is basically going away, going to sleep, getting out of the picture. So to find the answers to what we experience there, we need to go beyond the brain and beyond the physical reality. Uh, Those are two very key points about psychedelics that I think people need to understand. There's a tremendous amount more to discuss. Much of that we do cover in Living in a Mindful Universe. So I would encourage people who are fascinated by that, go out and get Living in a Mindful Universe, and you'll see how we integrate all of this information into a deeper understanding of the nature of the human spirit and its true ultimate potential. Yes, and for everyone listening, living in a mindful universe, that will be in the description and in the top comment. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it's read by Dr. Alexander, which fantastic job, by the way, as a as an audiobook connoisseur. You have a fantastic voice for reading. Just well, the, thank you. Just my two I, cents I for you. I appreciate that. And yes, I know sir. we covered in, in our last uh, session, though, but how many people have both read Proof of Heaven and listened to the audiobook. Yes. And even though the words are identical, they would tell me that they got so much more out of the audio. 100%. 100%. much more information. Even though the words were identical, there's more that comes through the voice. And people can feel that emotion. They can yes. feel the power of my journey and, and yes. how it impacted me through the voice. So yes. uh, I love your shout out to the audiobooks. Absolutely. No, I mean, really, it's I, I, I have a th- one as of right now, I have 1,088 titles in my library. You have a I've listened to a lot. You have a fantastic voice for reading, regardless of the story. You have a great voice, but tie it into the story. It's amazing. I have now kept you for seven minutes longer than I said I would. I will email you. I'd love to do. Yeah, we can put together a talk in, I don't know, sometime in 2020, January, maybe February, whatever, for uh, right. for psychedelic studies. But I will let you go. Thank you so much for that. That was awesome. It is You are you are Ramdas because I never met him, but talking to you, being around you, I said this to my dad last time. I said I walked away from it, and I was like, felt like i was just talking to someone that like loved me objectively as a spirit and it's very refreshing it's you are a sunny day and t- looking at you i'm just like i feel warmer so thank you for that sir so do i <laughs> you have a lot of that very same power oh, so well thank you sir sharing it, and i'm sure you're bringing that to your audience so that's a great so. thing i hope so 
Dr. Alexander. Great talking with you. You you too, sir. Merry Christmas. Stay safe out there. God bless America. God bless God bless everybody. And thank you, Dr. Yes. Alexander. Well, and thank you, and God bless you, and I, I appreciate all of your work to help uh, enlighten souls. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Thank you. All right. You have a good one. All right. We'll talk soon, and Merry Christmas to you, too. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Best wishes for the new year, and we'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a cool guy.